Welcome to episode 12 of the Scout Trailblazers podcast. And with me today is Eric Palicki, creator of so many good things that it would take the whole podcast to get them all in there. But the ones I really particularly like is Fake Empire, No Angel, Orphans, and Red Angel Dragnet, which I really enjoyed. And all those good things are going. And then, of course, the important thing we're here to talk about is at, now I got to make sure I get the title right because I always get it, it's an interesting title. Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. So how's it going, Eric? It's going really well, Wayne. Thanks so much for having me on. And you got the title exactly right. Um, okay. So thanks for that. That's good. It's, now let's talk about where the status is as far as this book is. Now we'll get into the book itself. Sure. It's uh, you've got all four issues are out, right? Yep, all four issues are in stores. Uh, and I just confirmed uh, the trade paperback will be in stores on March 17th. Okay. Okay, so that, that's not far away. So that, that, that's good because uh, uh, it, it'll be a, a quick journey for people if you haven't gotten the individual issues. And I recommend you do. And if you haven't gotten the paper copies and for some reason the store hasn't gotten it, you can go to scoutcomics.com and go to the store and you can get those out there. And I happen to know because I help with that. The drivethroughcomics.com also has them. But I would recommend the Scout Comics website because uh, uh, you get more out of it. And Scout Comics gets more out of it. So that's a good thing for that to happen. So, well, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about where the story came from? Uh, sure. What The story is, uh, it's kind of a, a kitchen sink storytelling approach to uh just me exploring some some other stories and other genres that I am personally passionate about and personally enjoy uh, consuming, whether it's comics or uh, prose fiction or movies. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a a little bit of a Lovecraft influence there. There's an influence from samurai films and westerns, even though the the story itself does take place in the modern day. So it was just a way for me to sort of explore all of those interests of mine um, and mm -hmm. tell a, a compelling story and kind of hopefully uh, create a character uh, in Lucas Lewis that, that resonates with my readers. Mm. Okay. Well, let me read what the description says on the Scout Comics website. It says, Lucas Lewis drifts into Atlantis County, Oregon, wanting nothing more than a hot meal and a soft bed for the night. What he finds instead is a small town in thrall to eldritch, and I like that word, eldritch creatures, lurking in the surrounding wilderness, possibly guided by an even more sinister force. Lucas becomes determined to eradicate all Atlantis' demons, but these monsters are not what they seem. Unfortunately for the monsters, neither is Lucas. That was the part that I liked the best uh, of the whole business, that... that uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to spoil stuff. See, the problem with this book is it's really difficult to talk about without spoiling stuff. And as such, even though the covers kind of give away a little bit of, of some of the story, I hate to do that because I want people to read it like I did and just kind of get the initial you know, hit of, of how things are really going. And, uh, well, Oregon, you know, I, I'm curious that, you know, most comics take place in New York City, of course. Uh, but you chose Oregon for this story. Why was that? Well, uh, I I think since the last time that you and I spoke, I relocated from uh, Toledo, Ohio, or for, from Columbus, Ohio, to Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. And um, while Lucas is walking across country, I drove pretty much the same route that 
that uh, that Lucas takes in the in the course of the story, or is implied to have taken. And so there was that sort of influence there, and you know, just the the cool the way the, the the landscape of America changes as you go from the Midwest to the Pacific Northwest uh, is was very was very interesting to me and became kind of a you know a, a journey that I wanted to explore in fiction as much as I got to explore it in the real world. Mm-hmm. Cool. Atlantis. Is, is there a real place called Atlantis County, Oregon? No, that is a, that is a made up County. And, uh, you know, just wanting to be able to, you know, in the same way that, that DC comics makes up its, its locales. Um, I wanted to be able to do what I wanted with the environs without, uh, you know, offending anyone or, or running up against reality in any way. So, so I kind of created this fictional Atlantis County and, you know, the, the concept of a lost city and, uh, you know, the, the, the water narrative that comes with, with Atlantis does play into without, again, without spoiling too much does play into the story that we're telling in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting book because we don't understand really anything that's going on when we start. It's it's great because we get dropped into this situation and things start to slowly unfold. And I love a story that does that. I love a story where you know where you're going and we don't know where you're going, but you slowly tell us. And you're really good at that kind of storytelling, to be honest. And I th- I thought this was one of your better, one of your best ones uh, as far as the story goes, because I was gripped. I, you know, these people really got to me. So talk a little bit about Lucas, uh, Lewis, the, the main character. Is he based on anybody? Was he a, uh, an imagination creation totally? How did he come to be? Uh, he is a uh, he's a fiction. Um, he's not really based on myself or anybody I'm close to, but I really just wanted to to sort of explore that that sort of that pull and that draw to walk or to to travel across country. Um, you know, he is a uh, the uh, the the child of a single mother, whereas. Uh, you know, my parents are still happily married, so uh, you know, there's not a lot of of biography in his character. But I think where he and I do intersect is, you know, he is compelled uh, as he sees this sort of darkness unfolding in Atlantis County. He is compelled to do something about it, even at his own peril. Mm-hmm. Now, see, even the start of this story, I, I I'm loath to even reveal much of what's going on yeah i don't know how how you feel about that there's let's just say you, you've said that he's walking across the country and so we first see lucas as he's walking on a road in the nighttime and <laughs> more than that if i say something i feel like i'm giving something away as far as the story goes because let's just say he's drawn into the story unwillingly that might be a thing to say. And th- th- you begin to understand almost right away that Lucas, there's something interesting about Lucas going on because he does certain things that a, a, a quote unquote, oh gosh, see, even if I say that, that, that 
another person might not do, you know, or might not be able to do, shall we say. So that is going, even at the start, I mean, this this is, this is so hard to talk about this book because of all the, the, if it's like one of those Lego castles or something, and you pull one of them out and the whole thing goes crumbling down, you reveal a whole bunch of stuff. And I don't want to do that with this book because I think part of the fun of this book is not knowing and having to, to, to go through it with him and figure out, because there's things we don't know about him. There's things we don't know about the, the whole town. There's, there's things that we just don't know anything. And it's kind of fun to get into that situation and figure out what's happening. So I, gosh, I mean, what would you tell people if, if you wanted to convince people to, to buy the book? What kinds of things would you say about it that would, uh, you think would sell the book? Um, I would say that, you know, based on even that description you read at the top of the show, we, it's clearly has a supernatural element to it. I don't think that that is a surprise. Um, I think rather than, uh, rather than spoil the story itself, what I would say is if you are a fan of the TV series Supernatural or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, those are the kind of you know touchstones that I had in mind when I was putting this book together and telling this story. Um, you know, it's it's that kind of of supernatural where it's it's not really. I wouldn't say that it's it's a horror book per se, even though again from the description we know there are monsters. The nature of those monsters and the nature of Lucas himself, I don't want to say anything about. Uh, because it does spoil a little bit of the story and a little bit of the unfolding mystery in later issues, uh, especially uh, you know where where Lucas comes from really and what is driving his his compulsion to walk across the, the country um, and and you know and why he why walk and not drive why not you know hop on a hop on an Alaska Airlines flight and 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 get there in a couple hours. Uh, and, and a lot of those are drivers for the story. And, you know, I, I think there is, there is mystery and, and you're right though. I did not realize that I was writing a book that would go, was going to be so damn difficult to describe to people without spoiling at least some of the story. But that's good though. See, I like a story like that. I like a story that once you get into, there was a, uh, and you know, completely veer off of this. There was a, an animated movie called Batman beyond return of the Joker. And if I tried one time to describe the film to somebody and every time I tried to describe a sequence out of it, I realized just like this, I was revealing a part of the plot and I went, Oh gosh, I can't even describe that. Cause if you, you know, I, it's frustrating when you really want to talk about something that's really good and then you want to, but you don't want to spoil stuff. I mean, some people love to spoil. I mean, I'm not one of those, but I have a friend of mine who loves nothing better than to sit there and spoil away. And I'm sitting there going like putting my fingers in my ears. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. But with this kind of a story, I do not want, <laughs> I do not want people to miss out on the experience of reading it. There was, there was a phenomenon I noticed Years and years ago, um, obviously this was back in the 1990s when uh, when the Usual Suspects came out, mm-hmm. and even if you didn't, I found that this was almost true with 100% accuracy. Even if you didn't describe to people what happened in the movie, what the big twist in the movie was, mm-hmm. if you recommended it to people, they would figure out the ending. 
if you hmm. approach them with any kind of enthusiasm, they would be able to fi- figure out the, the twist at the end. But if hmm. they came upon the movie on their own, they couldn't. Hmm. And so I don't know, I don't really know how to explain that phenomenon, but sometimes just the act of, of being enthusiastic about something is enough to clue people in that something else is going on. Okay. But because right, I, <laughs> I suppose that doesn't really have anything to do with Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. Why don't we talk about the title, though? I mean, the title right away is a clue, shall we say. I, I think this is a well-chosen title. Uh, you're, you're giving away a little – well, you're, you're setting the stage, shall we say, with the title. And I think that's great. I, I, that it's, some titles, I think, are a waste of time. They don't reveal anything. But this one – Actually, kind of, it wet my whistle and made me go, what is going on here? Let's say, you know, you, you look at the title and Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. Okay. Now, right away, you can figure a thing or two that might go on. But I have to say, what I thought was going to happen did not happen. <laughs> That's the good thing about this book. I did not in any way figure out what was going to take place in this book. And I, I loved, as a longtime reader, I love nothing better than to be surprised. And this book surprised me. There's four issues of surprises, to be honest. I, I thought the pacing of the story was particularly good without giving much away. I thought that, that things – you drew each issue to a really interesting place so that we wanted to come back at the next issue, which I thought was great. Uh, there's a variety of characters involved. And uh, based on what you're saying about Lucas, I imagine all these characters are basically uh, – uh, products of your imagination rather than say uh, based on somebody that you know is that is that accurate yes yes um yeah i rarely i rarely go down that path as a writer where uh characters have a huge basis in um in in someone else that i know um just mostly for fear that uh i will i'll make I'll make more enemies than friends that way. <laughs> well, it's funny because you when know, I talked to James Hake, the president of the company, he, of course, wrote one of his friends into the book. And what he didn't tell the friend was that in the first book he's there, he's, he gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> he reads the book and he goes, wait a minute, I'm dead. He goes. <laughs> so those kinds of things are funny. I, I, I get a kick out of that. But, you know, if that's not something you want to do, then that's fine. See, some people, I have to say, when I first interviewed um, the creator of Mouse Guard, I asked him, I said, are these characters based on, like, King Arthur's Roundtable? He said, no, they're my friends. And so he literally drew, he, he understood the relationships between them. And so for him, that was easy to draw upon and easy to create based on the people he knew. And so I, this is one of the reasons I asked that question is because there are people who do that and there are people who don't. And I think that that's a, a real interesting thing as far as creation goes. So that's why I asked that question. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, you, you know, and I'm, I'm sure the, I'm sure the need will arise at some point in my career that I will need to, uh, to lean on people, at least for experience. You know, I'm, uh, I have, a. uh, uh, you know, a, a scope of experience is a, in, in the professional realm that's six miles wide, but only about three inches deep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, one of my best friends is a teacher and another is a, is a lawyer. So, you know, it, it's likely that at some point in my life, I'm going to lean on one or both of them for, for their experiences. Okay. 
Sounds good. Now, we can, one thing we can talk about, too, is the artwork in this book, as far as like choosing the art. Uh, the thing that I was most impressed by was the choice of colors. Uh, this, as you talk about a supernatural story, you know, supernatural stories, sometimes they're too bright for me. And I'm going like, that's just supernatural, all these bright reds and yellows flying around. That's not the case in this book. This book is, this, the colors are much more subtle. And I think it really fits the tone of the story. So how did you choose the, the, the artist and the colorist? Well, so the artist, Wendell Cavalcanti, and I have been doing comics on and off for 15 years now. The very first, the very first time I ever reached out to an artist to do something I had written, it was Wendell. Um, he's, a, he's a gentleman that I met online. Uh, he hails from Brazil. And uh, we did a we did a, a, a little sh- a short lived little uh, web comic these little four page stories called uh, the Undertaker's Daughter about a uh, uh, a teenage hit woman mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he drew that uh, and then he went off for a while and he did an image book and and had some success and then when he was available again you know he came back and I pitched this idea to him and he was into it and um, and here we are. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a relationship that we've had for, for, for quite some time. Uh, as far as the colorist Mark Dale goes, uh, Mark and I have been, you know, uh, Twitter mutuals for, for a while. And, uh, once Wendell started producing pages for this story and we were able to, uh, to start looking, um, I actually talked to two or three different colorists and had a few of them do, some sample pages. And, uh, like you said, I think, uh, Mark was the colorist that really nailed the, the sort of atmosphere we were going to, uh, going for rather, uh, rather than, you know, something that shines too brightly, uh, has that kind of superhero sheen, which is just not appropriate for the story. Uh, but he really sort of nailed the, the sort of the darkness of the story when it's, when it's called for, but also some of those daytime scenes, he really, uh, uh, he really just nails. There is a, uh, there's a page, uh, in issue three where Lucas, uh, finds himself in, in jail. And it is maybe the single best page that I've ever seen either Wendell or Mark do. And it's, it's just one of my favorite pages that I've ever gotten to write. Uh, just the way it turned out was is brilliant, and I don't think it really spoils any part of the story to tell you that that's my favorite page in the whole book. Hmm. Okay, I have to go back and look at that again because I've read all four of them and I really enjoyed the whole story. That, that's one thing I want for people to understand. This is a gripping story. You know, I was fortunate in the sense that I had not read them individually, but I got to read them all collected. And I think that if somebody gets the trade, they're going to get that same experience, which I think will be great fun for people to do. I like that. Now, I think one thing we can say without giving away anything is that it's possible to come back to the Atlantis universe in the future. Do you have any ideas for returning to the Atlantis universe? So uh, I do. And um, uh, Stephen Russell Black, who did – uh, a variant cover for the comic shop buyers, the comic buyers shopping network, yeah. CBSN, uh, yeah. a really fantastic variant cover 
that he did. We, uh, he and I have talked, and we're going to do a a one shot called uh, Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. Olympia, which takes Ooh. place immediately after the events in the in the miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be a, a, just a, a one shot story. It won't be the final word on these characters, I hope, mm-hmm. um, but it'll be something. Uh, I think, hopefully, that will be of interest to the readers to hold them over until I can take another deep dive into uh, into that universe. And Stephen's really excited about doing uh, some sequential work. Hmm. So even beyond that, there might be more Atlantis in our future. I hope so. Okay, that'll be good because hopefully the sales have been good enough to to warrant it. Because this is really one of those those books that you've got to get. I just think that it's it's just a fascinating tale of surprises. And you know, somebody like me who's read comics for decades, it's rare that I get surprised. <laughs> but there are a lot of surprises as to what's going on and who's going on and stuff like that and what happens to all this stuff. I was very surprised as we went along. I, I, I love to be surprised. I just, it's rare. I mean, many times I pick up a comic and I get to the first page and I go, oh, okay, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And this and then the other, and we get to the end and yep, sure enough, all those came true. Your writing, I never get that experience. Thankfully. It's one of the reasons I enjoy your writing so much is that I am often surprised if not shocked at the things that go on in it and for an experienced reader like me i love that so i i hope you keep doing that because all the like i mentioned several of the titles and, and guardians of the galaxy you've written as well and stuff all the things that you do always keep me engaged and surprised and i i just love those kinds of, of writing and reading experiences just wonderful well that that means a whole lot I mean, we can just talk about, uh, you know, I can take a moment then to sort of uh, gush about Scout Comics as a brand and just all the great work, especially I feel like while I've been a fan of, of James's from from the beginning, you know, he and I connected in because the book, one of the books that you mentioned earlier, Orphans, which was my, my first book big, hefty graphic novel that I, I wrote uh, was illustrated by uh, Bronco Jovanovich, who ended up then doing Solar Flare for James. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we became friends. And then Small World being what it is, uh, his sister Jill owns Outsider Comics and Games here in, in Seattle, and that's my local comic shop. <laughs> so, um, wow. And, and, you know, we can talk about, you know, all the stuff that, that Charlie has brought to the table and, and White Ash and the recount and grit and the electric black. It's just a, a phenomenal, I'm really excited to be a part of, of Scout Comics and, and, and all of the books that they have, they have been putting out lately, which I know, you know, I know you've, uh, You've read more than a few of them yourself, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, you you mentioned some of my favorites. So it's there's uh, Scout Comics. I think is just one of those up and coming companies that if people haven't heard of, boy, they really need to pay attention to. 
I really do. And I think books like Atlantis are ones that are getting people's attention because it's creative, it's new, it's different. You're doing things that we honestly haven't seen in comics before. And to me, that's just a wonderful thing. It's just, I could name a whole bunch of Scout comics, but I won't just go down the list of them and you could, you can go there. Now, as far as other things that you're doing in the future, are there other books you're working on that we should be aware of? Uh, well, in addition to, um, I don't want to, you know, take a lot of time since I know this is a Scout podcast. Uh, Wendell and I are next collaborating on a book for Ahoy Comics that I'm really excited about uh, called Blacksmith. Um, and that will be uh, debuting later this summer. Beyond that, um, I'm hoping to, you know, do some more work for Scout, including, uh, but hopefully not limited to, the uh, Atlantis wasn't built for tourists. One shot that I have upcoming with uh, with Stephen. Great. Now I've got to ask you, and of course this is something that uh, you have had uh, experiences in both worlds in the franchise world and working with your own creations. And I, I think you do a great job in both of them. But the one that always seems to sparkle just a little more are like your creations, like Atlantis. And I, I think that there's something great when, you know, when people do their own, uh, when you world build yourself and you, you exist inside that world, something that you've made, somehow it just seems to have a little more to it, just a little more energy and stuff like that to it. And so I, I like to read your stuff as much as you, you've done other, been involved with successful franchises. I like your stuff when you have been the one doing the creating of the, the whole situation. Is that something that you particularly enjoy, you know, creating a universe like this yeah i mean this is this is my favorite part and um i absolutely prefer my own creations over the work for hire stuff that said uh you know any editors who are listening uh give me that work for hire uh <laughs> money i'm i'm here I'll, I'll take the work if you've got it you know, it's, it's, it's still, it's, it's almost like exercising two different muscles. You know, you're still in the gym, but, uh, it's working out different parts of the brain. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's nice to dip your toes in, in both pools. And I have just mixed all kinds of metaphors right now. So <laughs> I, I used to have, I, I knew somebody who's a writer and he used to write novels about TV shows. And so he had a trouble watching TV shows because, novel ideas what happened to his mind he'd watch like uh, like a science fiction show and and he'd be sitting there with a pad and paper because he would be writing down ideas that the show would give him that he might be able to write a novel about or something like that but you know for with your experience and uh, you're going into different worlds and things like that that you could do i mean what would you if somebody would come to you and say hey i got a great idea for atlantis but i want to write it how would you feel about that um so if someone was to come to me today and say, hey, I'm with Warner Brothers, I'm with Disney, I'm with Paramount, let's do, let's do Atlantis Wasn't Built for Tourists, the TV show on Amazon Prime, I would say, awesome, go for it. <laughs> um, if someone said, hey, I've got an idea for the second Atlantis Wasn't Built for Tourists graphic novel, I would say, sorry. No dice. That's my baby. Um, uh, you know that that's mine. 
Well, it's it's hard to let other people play in your, your playground sometimes, I think. But that's a good sign, though. I mean, that means you've got plenty of ideas. Uh, you know, you don't just come up with one idea and then once that's done, it's, it's pretty much finished. There, I can tell that there are many stories that are bubbling around and they're just dying to get out as far as Atlantis as well as the other uh, franchises you've built. So I think that's a good thing. I want to see more of those things. I want to enjoy those. Although I have to say, how you're going to follow this up, I have no idea. So, of course, I had no idea what you're going to do in this book. So I'm enjoying the idea that you could do another follow-up. I'm sure you're going to pull all kinds of surprises on us uh, in future things. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, I... uh... I looking I'm looking forward to surprising you Wayne. That's uh that's I think how it uh that's that's how I operate. I mean if I if I'm doing that then I'm I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm.